Trash Cinema. Everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. It's the launch of Season 6. We're going to be changing the format a little bit. Uh, usually we do two films. Uh, sometimes if the movie's really crazy, we'll just do one film. But this season, I kind of want to focus on the legend of Trash Cinema. So this episode, uh, I have my guest Kent Hill here. How's it going, Kent? Good night. How are you doing? I'm just eager to dig into this season because what we have coming up, and this is just a small part of it, is uh, we have Steven Seagal today. We have uh, Sho Kusagi. Um, did we talk about David Carradine? We had a list of people that we really yeah. wanted to do, like just uh, Roger Corman films, you know, the, uh, yeah. the space movies that he did, stuff like that. We have a huge list of things we kind of want to talk about this year. Red Brown movies would be fun. Yeah, yeah, Red Brown, finally. Um, like Miles O'Keefe, uh, Lou Ferrigno. There's like, a, 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 what was I thinking of? Yeah. Cynthia Rothrock would be fun? Yeah, yeah Cynthia would be good. Yeah, yeah, finally. Yeah, so that's kind of an idea of what we're going to do this season is kind of give you an overview of people that we gave us a lot of entertainment. Albert Pion would be a fun one to do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, one, yeah and what a legend. And what a catalog. Um, so let's let's talk real quick. We, we did an episode about four years ago. I think it was the very first episode that you and I did together was where we're talking about the big martial arts movement of the late 80s that carried yeah. on for another decade. Now, one of those guys that's yeah. responsible for launching that is Steven Seagal. Someone I actually oh. missed the first time around. I was more of a Van Damme guy, and I didn't really right. get the appeal of Seagal until later. Right, right. Now, did he well, take Seagal off there? Hey. Uh, Sorry? Uh, I said, did he take off there pretty quickly, or was it was it kind of a slow build-up? Um, yeah. Like, the first, the first film, Above the Law, uh, was like a lot of these... For a lot of these actors, there was a vehicle. Uh, someone had seen him doing a demonstration somewhere and said, this guy's pretty exciting. This is a different kind of martial art uh, that he does. And he sort of became like one of those guys, like Van Damme, like Jeff Speakman, like, uh, you know, Chuck Norris beforehand, you know. And they looked for a vehicle uh, or developed a vehicle specifically to showcase him, and it turned out really well, even though Above the Law wasn't a huge box office movie. Uh, that, w- that wouldn't happen until Hard to Kill, which was the next one, uh, which would officially sort of launch him uh, into the broader consciousness, so to speak. Yeah, he's one of the few martial arts guys that got a legitimate director immediately. Andrew Davis had already solidified himself with a couple of films. So that kind of yeah. helped him give him an edge up. He was already with a studio, Warner Brothers, whereas a lot of the guys that we grew up with, they um, they didn't have a tested and true director. They kind of had a flimsy script. And a lot of them rose up through the independence first. Mm, sure. And Seagal was, um, I believe, involved in the development of uh, of above the law, so he wasn't like he wasn't like they he was a bystander to the whole thing. I think Steven Seagal is actually credited as one of the writers of the movie, right? So uh, it, 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 it's a it's a it's a good beginning, but it's also a little bit of what you might call an Adam Sandler type beginning, because if you look. Ostensibly, if you look at the plots of all of these movies, 
that are going to follow above the law. They're kind of the same movie. Yeah, a lot of formula. Um, really, in really many, built in. Many, in. I, I got confused halfway through yeah. watching these movies. Which one? I was like, wait, didn't I just see this action sequence in another movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he, he literally becomes like Adam Sandler after a while. He's the, either the super cop or the ex-military guy who either has a ponytail or doesn't, that knows kung fu, weapons, martial arts, tactics, all that sort of stuff, and has to track down or, you know, eventually square off with a bad guy and save either a group of people or save the city or save his family or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I always thought it was strange that Seagal was so much more popular than Van Damme because... Mind you, Van Damme did copy himself a little bit in the beginning, but he immediately, like, yeah. once, like, Death Warrant came out, he starts shaking it up, changed his look, changed his character style, you know, even changed his fighting a little bit here and there, but mixed it up with different mm. directors and writers, and he was just shaking, you know, changing his formula, yet people got sick of him quicker, and I thought that was weird. Yeah. Um, I think it's because Seagal had, like, this, I don't know, for a little while, he had kind of this John Wayne, like, I know it's it's probably verboten to talk about John Wayne in the media right now because uh, he's, he's not the most popular guy, even though he's been dead for a while. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that, that's an interview from 72. I'm not even sure it's relevant. I think yeah, we've all known he was kind of a douchebag. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so he kind of had like this... He was kind of like the first one of these guys that had a really definite sort of set persona, and he really doesn't try hard to change... You know, Seagal plays Seagal in every movie, literally. He's just got a different name. Like, yeah. his character's just got a different name, you know what I mean? Yeah, the only thing changed was in, uh, like, 96 is when he started wearing a muumuu. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the, pony, the ponytail sort of comes and goes, like, you know? Yeah. And the wig like, keeps, like keeps a, getting weirder. As a bald man, I can make fun of him for this. His wig oh, just keeps changing. It's like, oh, that one, no, you need a new one. On. Oh, oh, that's even worse. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty sad. He's, he's really degenerated. Um, you know, I mean, but I mean, there was for that for that shining period from say 1988 right up until really you could say the death of it was probably 1997 with Fire Down Below. Yeah, where where now he plays uh, an environment an, EP, an EPA uh, agent who comes to this small town because he's heard that they're dumping toxic chemicals in barrels inside the mountains and it's leaking through the mountains into the, the aquifer and is poisoning the people in this small town. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the last, it's, it's, it's the last of its kind. It was the last Steven Seagal movie to get a theatrical release. Oh, really? Because we had two yeah. after that. You you didn't get Exit oh, Wounds and Half Past Dead. We're in theaters oh, here. Yeah. Oh, no. I, hang on. Yeah. No, no. I didn't get either of those theatrically. Huh. Yeah. They were both straight to video. Yeah. So for so, us, yeah. Uh, yeah, Fire Down Below was the last big uh, Warner Brothers one. And then he did that one, The Patriot. Yeah. The Patriots one I didn't right. watch during all this because that's, that's a weird one. And uh, I remember it went straight to video, cost a fortune. And I was like, nothing happens in this. So he disappeared for like three years. And then he did, um, I want to say he did Ticker next. Uh, He only did like three days on that for a cool million. And then it was Exit Wounds that saved his career for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here it made $50 million. 
Well, yeah, exit wounds. Yeah, so that was pretty popular, oh. but then Half Best Dead, it, it was a huge flop, and people were like, okay, we're done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're tuning out now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I knew it was done. Have you seen Submerged? Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I have. There was a period where I was still watching his stuff, because um, it was always yeah. playing on USA. Um, yeah. I want to say it was like 2005. That's one of the last I think I saw, because I gave up, yeah. God, I don't want to say... Um, Mercenary for Justice, I think, was the last one I watched. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, Submerge is great because he's actually dubbed in it. He's dubbed. Huh. All the way through. Because he came to the set doing this. It's a famous story. He came to the set doing, like, this act, oh, some sort of weird accent. Because he was trying to be, like, he was from Texas or something. And no one could understand a word he was saying. <laughs> So him being Steven Chagall and kind of the only reason the pitch is being made, they let him go and do it. And then someone comes along and if you watch it, he's dubbed throughout the whole movie. So when came along and tried to do it, a normal Steven Seagal voice. Because Seagal didn't come back and dub himself, so they had to get, to, they had to get someone to do it. But it's kind of hilarious because uh, I think there's a, there's a few... There's a few bits of dialogue right at the start where you hear this weird accent he was trying to do. And then after that, they obviously got sick of it and, and stuff him. Um. You know, I've never, I've never figured out his accent because he's from Michigan and then he lived in Japan and then he moved back to America. But when he talks, yeah. he sounds like he's from New Orleans mixed with the Bronx. And it's the most confusing yeah. thing. I was like, I don't, what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and in those, in those early films, like Above the Law, right up until Out for Justice, he's he's kind of doing that whole thing, like like you know, uh, you know, I'm 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 one I'm one of the guys, but it's it's light, and it's it's it, he almost whispers, you know, he's like he's the horse whisperer or the Aikido whisperer. Yeah, he's trying you know, to be like, David Carradine-ish. Yeah, yeah, and and you know he always goes around with that, uh, the, you know, with the death of the nineties brought the death of the, the Steven Seagal. Like I'm trying to squeeze the turd face, right? He's got this distinct look. Like every time he sees something disturbing, or every time he, uh, you know, comes up against uh, something that is, uh, you know, morally or mentally taxing on him, he pulls this face. <laughs> That honestly looks like someone trying to pitch a loaf. Yeah, me. it's like he anyway. smelled something bad. Yeah. It might be him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it's like that's what it is. It's like someone farted in the room, and he's like, and, he, and he's caught a whiff of it, and it's and it's strong but offensive. You know. What I mean? <laughs> have you ever seen? You may not have. I don't know if you guys ever got it down there, but there was a TV show here in America called Mad TV. It was on for ten years, and Will yeah, Sazo totally. did a, a hilarious parody of Steven Seagal for years. Yeah, totally. Yes, I remember Mad TV. Yeah. Do you know he hosted yeah. Saturday Night Live? And it's the it's maybe the worst episode ever. Yeah, I I, I heard about it. I haven't seen it. I, I I meant to check it out before we spoke, but I didn't get around to it. But um, yeah. But I I, I actually have an interesting story that we could throw in here. Have you ever seen the documentary Salinger? Uh, no, I haven't. Anyway, the end of the documentary, this guy asked the interviewer. He says. Oh, there's one thing you didn't ask me. And he says, what's that? He goes, you didn't ask me if I ever met J.D. Salinger, right? So, uh, so I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to say, you're going to ask me if I ever met Steven Seagal. 
Okay. Have you ever met Steven Seagal? No. <laughs> but I almost did. <laughs> okay. Okay. How is this? Right. Okay. So Steven Seagal, there's a, there's a brewing a brewing company, a beer brewing company in Australia called Carlton United Breweries, right? Okay. And so they came out with this new beer called Carlton Dry. Okay. So the the big promotion for it was they were going to film an ad with Steven Seagal. And anyone could send in a script for the ad. But the, but the trick is Steven Seagal is going to play you in the ad, like in the short film, right? Okay. So you write, you, you write, your, you write an ad for yourself selling Carlton Dry, but just know that if you win, if they select your script or story, Steven Seagal is going to play you in the ad, right? <laughs> That's okay, weird. so it's, it's 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 the winning one is on. I submitted I submitted like half a dozen. I, I submitted like a dozen of these stories. I was so excited. I thought this is fantastic. Um, I didn't win, but the one that won was uh, the one that won is online. It's called Sheep Impact, and it's it's set out these two guys that drive along the road and their car breaks down, and they're headed to a barbecue where they're going to enjoy a nice beer and whatever. And there's a sheep sort of standing out there in the scrub, and uh, this uh, policeman comes along and accuses Stephen Seagal and this other guy of trying to do something to the sheep. And uh, Stephen Seagal calls on the sheep using the you know the power of the martial arts and the mind, <laughs> and he goes, "Brother sheep, help us," you know. And so the sheep attacks the cop, and they get away, and <laughs> they get, they. They get to the barbecue, and anyway, uh, he apologizes. The, the guy that Stephen Seagal's with apologizes to the host of the party that uh, they didn't bring any meat because his father's a butcher and they were going to bring meat. And she said, "Oh, that's okay. My friend Warren brought some some lamb." Oh. And so anyway, so we cut to the back of the house. And Stephen goes, "Wait a second. They run around the back of the house, and there's the cop with the sheep. But he's not in cop gear anymore. He's in his civilian clothes, and he's getting ready to butcher the sheep. And Stephen Seagal goes, uh, "Hang on, I thought you said that it was illegal to hurt that sheep, you know." And he said, "Well, mate, it's just a, it's just a fluffy bag of lamb chops. Don't worry about it." Anyway, so it ends with Stephen Seagal disarming him, and the girl at the party who the guy was trying to endear himself to falls for Stephen Seagal. They all have a cult and dry and a. It's over, right? <laughs> okay. So anyway, anyway, so I I didn't win. I didn't meet Stephen Seagal, but I was at the Brisbane Marriott Hotel, uh, and I I'd been to a wedding the night before, and I I sat up late and smoked a lot of cigars and drank a lot of very expensive whiskey. Anyway, so I came downstairs for the breakfast buffet, but as I as I as I as I came down. Uh, there was all these guys, like secret service guys, in the in the lobby, and I couldn't go to the buffet. They said, "Sir, you'll just have to wait. You'll just have to sit down over here." And so I sit down. I've got a massive headache, and I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, these guys sort of bunch together really quickly, and then they all disappear. And uh, I said, "Oh, that's unusual." So then they're gone. So I get up to go to the buffet. 
And the waitress comes over and she says, sir, would you like apple juice or orange juice? I said, well, I'm in an adventurous spirit. I'll have a glass of both. Um, so I said, uh, what was with all the, the secret service here? Right now is the American president in town or something? She said, no, Steven Seagal is here. <laughs> I said, no shit. Really? Wow. He's staying here. Well, well she says, no, he just, he, he just left, actually. And I said, wow, that's fantastic. I said, did you see him? She said, you won't believe this. She said he was sitting at where you're sitting right now at this table and had breakfast here not half an hour ago. <sighs> where you're sitting right now. And I said, shit, really? What did he eat? <laughs> did he eat cereal? <laughs> did he eat eggs, bacon? What did he eat? No, he had a bowl of fruit and some bran. And he asked for this tea, but we didn't have it. So he had a cup of coffee. I said, no shit. Did he have any toast? No, no, he didn't eat toast. Did he try vegging on it? No, no. I said, no shit. I said, Stephen, I think because I said, now I'm starting to wonder if his feet is warm and I'm starting to wonder, I've got Stephen Seagal's butt warm. <laughs> you absorbed his essence. Hello, <laughs> right? So, yeah, that was that was how I almost met Stephen Seagal. Wow. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually shocked that he has a whole team of security guards. That seems strange for a guy who's supposed to be like the most awesome fighter ever. And like it a is, team, I would say like, maybe like one. Yeah. Like maybe a liaison yeah. and a, a security guard, but like a team. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean it is weird. It's like it's like you know when they talk about the death of Superman lives and John Peters says you know when it, when when he'd have a fight at the Fortress of Solitude, he could fight Superman's guard. And all the other producers are like, why would Superman need guards, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know because Stephen Seagal is famous. If you if, if anyone listening has watched all of the. Uh, probably some of the more recent YouTube uh, interviews that he's been on lots of TV shows. And they constantly ask him, are you still dangerous? Are you still a tough guy? You know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, one of the more famous ones, he was on the show and he was being asked, like, who who is the current tough guy in Hollywood? And they start rattling off names like Michael J. White and uh, Van Damme. And, they, and he and Steven Seagal, he doesn't kind of move. He leans his head to the side and goes, can I laugh in your face? Can I laugh in your face? Can I laugh in your face? Right, because obviously he doesn't think too highly of these other guys um, and thinks he could probably walk the floor with them. I have serious which, doubts you know, about that. I have serious. Like, probably, his probably, ego is so big. Day maybe, but yeah. yeah, I think his ego is why I don't like him. Is because he doesn't have that humbleness. Right. He doesn't like to get hurt in movies. He doesn't like to be the underdog. And you, you, you ride that journey with him is why I think I'm more, I have a more predilection towards like Van Damme and stuff like that. Scott Atkins, you know, yeah. he has that appeal too. Uh, Seagal always yeah. seems like he's untouchable. The only time I've ever seen him hurt, like legitimately hurt, was in Under Siege. And I think that's because yeah. Andrew Davis was such a good director that he, you know, he convinced him to do that. And that's my problem yeah, with Seagal yeah. is that he does seem like he's, uh, he just won't change in any way. He won't be a guy you can uh, connect with. Yeah, totally, totally. Did you watch Lawman? I did not. That was a TV show, right? You didn't watch Lawman. Yeah, that's right. That's where he was deputized. And it's like Cops, but with Steven Seagal as a star. And uh, it, it was a great series. 
Uh, <laughs> he didn't do much. I'll never forget this one time they pulled over a guy for speeding, right? And I'm pretty sure that this guy sped past because he just wanted to be arrested by Stephen Seagal. Yeah, right? I can see that. Uh, and so he speeds past. Now, as we all know, by this point, Stephen Seagal has a lot of problems running. Like, he doesn't move very fast anymore, okay? So they pull up, and there's five other cops in the car with him. It's like a clown car. Like, one cop, get out, two cops, get out, three cops, get out. And then they all run over and arrest this guy, get him on the ground. Like, remember, he's only been speeding, mind you. They throw him on the ground, and it's a bit like Dogs the Bounty Hunter at this point, where they've got a hold of this guy for a pretty petty crime, and Stephen Scott slowly lumbers over <laughs> while they've got old mate in handcuffs on the ground, and he kneels down and goes into his rhetoric. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this, man? Why are you doing this, bro? Don't you know that? Don't you know that crime is bad? <laughs> You know, you need to find peace. You need to find peace and harmony. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's almost <laughs> like he comes over and he gives like a poetic benediction, and then they drag the poor bastard away to, to wherever. And uh, <laughs> it was it was funny. It was it was it wasn't quite as colourful as Dog the Bounty Hunter, which I also loved. You know, because Segal doesn't really have the same presence as as Dwayne does. Um, nor does he have the hair, uh, which is which is emblematic and, and important in the role. But uh, it's uh, it's it's nice. It's, it, it, here's the thing: is I, I, I really I really love Steven Seagal, and I and I really felt I really felt bad watching the decline. Um, and I really liked like little flashes where like he was the bad guy in the first Machete movie, right? You know, like there was that little bit where he's just, he's always on the TV and stuff like that. I thought, well, that's nice. You know, but kind of after, it was hard to watch. Like after Fire Down Below, it was hard to watch like the slow descent into movies like Submerged. Um, there's <laughs> and one. Against, there's... Uh, and against, yeah, and Against the Dark is vampire movie. Yeah, um, I haven't seen yeah. that one, but I, I watched yeah. some movie. And I want to say it was like Black Dawn or something like that, where it was about a stolen airship or something like that. He does a fight sequence where you see him standing with his arms ready to fight. And I kid you not, the camera cuts over to these random flailing arms that are clearly not him. And then it cuts back to him standing still again. And I'm like, he can't even do his own fighting? What the fuck is this? And that's when it started sitting. That was like 2004, 2005, where I was like, oof, okay, it's kind of ending here. Because he did do a couple decent ones that were direct-to-video. I thought Into the Sun was a decent flick. Um, and yeah, no, What's the one he did with uh, the bad guy from Blade 2? He was in The Fast and Furious. Um, Torque, oh, you know, yeah. about Matt something, um, Shoals or something like that. I, I might have the name wrong. But he did a good one. It was about human trafficking. I was like, that's decent. I mean, I can understand why it went straight to DVD, but it's decent. But then after that, it just seemed yeah. like he shows up for two weeks, has a stuntman do two more weeks of it, and it's done. And he puts out like five movies a year now, and it's just it's tiresome. Yeah, because literally he does. It, you know, if it's possible for a guy to do less, um, he he goes beyond less because he literally just doesn't do anything. Like you could see, you could see where it was headed in. Um, 
in the vampire one against the dark, which is hilarious. I don't think it's supposed to be funny, but it is. And <laughs> and it's it's essentially a bunch of people get trapped in this building, and people are turned into vampires. And here's the thing: Steven Seagal is not in the whole movie. Like he's on the poster, he's on the cover of the DVD, but he's literally uh, he comes in about halfway through. He's part of this team that's trying to get inside but can't because they're vampire hunters. Mm-hmm. And he's there in one of those, uh, you know, he's starting to wear the massive jacket to hide the the, the porch at the front. Um, and he's got a samurai sword, so you know he's dangerous. And uh, he has a real trouble moving. Like, there's a scene where right at the end, this is big scene, is like big two minutes, where they go, okay, let's get out of here. And all the younger actors take off. And Stephen Seagal kind of gets the sword and sort of does this slow... It's not even a jog. It's more like a shuffle. Um, it looks like he's definitely, like, crudded all the way through his pants and is struggling to keep it in there oh, while, he, while he runs because it, it's pretty bad. It, it was, you know, to see a man fall from... Uh, from the heights that he fell from. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny um, is even when he was healthy, he ran weird. Him and Michael Ironside have the goofiest runs I've ever seen in my I life. Know, like, I such know. tough guys. I know. Like, What's with the hands? Stop yeah. flailing with hands around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and especially because he runs in above the law. He runs probably the most he ever does in his whole career. And he kind of his hands just kind of flap. He puts his arms up like a velociraptor, and the hands kind of flap just on their own. While he uh, he runs uh, around uh, trying to you know stop those people, but you know uh, he's always great. One thing we have to give him credit for is for a little while there he had the Arnold Schwarzenegger touch where he he could deliver like a good funny one-liner for a little while in that in that very deadpan like I don't sort of give a shit tone, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, you know, like. Uh, Probably the, the famous one is from uh, from uh, Alpha Justice. You know, anybody see Richie? You know, anybody see Richie? You know, he just walk around the bar and he slowly beats the shit out of everyone and destroys the bar. Yeah, you I know? remember people talking oh, about oh. that a lot at school, and I was like, I got to see this oh, movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then of course uh, in Under Siege, you know, he's got some uh, he's got some funny some funny lines in Under Siege and. Uh, but, but probably probably from the earlier ones, probably from Hard to Kill is probably the most quoted ones, you know, like, uh, like I was doing to you before, we were trying to say, Vernon, oh, Vernon, where are you? He's trying to find, well, he, he knows that William Sadler's in the house somewhere and he's going to kill him or arrest him. Uh, and uh, he's, he's going around the house and he goes, uh, you know, maybe you're behind the bed. Oh, you're so good at this game, Vernon, right? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator Trot, to the blood bank. You know, um, yeah, it's you know, it's, and he's got the clip. Yeah, he's got those trailer lines, like you know, you're a cook. Yeah, I also cook. You know, um, yeah, he did have a sly sense of humor. He, like, like you know, with a lot of the the martial arts guys, they usually didn't have any comedy. Uh, the Cascos had the charm, you know, the boy's charm, so that was kind of amusing. And Van Damme had, like, the goofy physical yeah. comedy, but Seagal was more about the like, dry one-liners. And, yeah. and I think 
and it's the fall for both of them, Van Damme and Seagal, is when they got to direct. Their egos got yeah. so big, and that's when it yeah. toppled. Because there is a chunk of On Deadly Ground that's really smart, you know, forward thinking. Same thing with Fire Down Below. He's very environmental sensitive. And the action sequences are great. The cast is amazing in both of those movies. It's just yeah. something about it collapses halfway through, and you're just like, why is, this, why is he still talking? Please stop talking. And because yeah. On Deadly Ground, action-wise, is balls to the wall. And it's got an amazing, yeah. like, and same thing with Under Siege 2. The villains are crazy good. But, you know, yeah, both yeah. were troubled productions, and it kind of, like, left a bad taste in Warner Brothers' mouth. Right, right, yeah. And and ironically, I was just about to ask you, what's your favorite Steven Seagal movie? You brought up, uh, you, you actually brought up my, my one and two. My favorite is On Deadly Ground, because, man, you just watch that movie, and you know that that's directed by Steven Seagal <laughs> as well, right? Because everything is geared to him looking like, the big unstoppable, you know, like it, it's summed up pretty well by Ali Emery at the end where um, he's sort of, he's talking to his band of guys like, you know, when they have a mission that's impossible, they send this guy in to train the troops. All right. You know, so we have to be, you know, he's like, he's like, uh, he's a guy who works for oil companies, but he's also this mythical warrior. Who, who, who never has any details about his past until the last act where they finally find a file somewhere that tells you that he used to be the baddest motherfucker on the planet and he just happens to be the guy that is coming after you, you know? But uh, On Deadly Ground was beautiful, mate. Come on. The yeah. spot in the bar is like, it goes, come on, you're a man and you've got big balls. Okay, you ready, Mr. Big Ball? You know? You can tell that Steven Seagal is just relishing. That's the real Steven Seagal, I'm pretty sure, in that scene. Yeah, pretty much. I'm and pretty it, sure that's why like, It's the weird thing is life. he's a juxtaposition of two extremely like violent and then caring in a lot of these roles. Like, you watch, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, in that scene or whatever, after he beats Mike Starr, he's like, now what do I have oh. to do with you? And he's like, just give me time, I need to change. And they're like, well, that's, all right, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> I didn't expect yeah. that. You got, you got a feeling that that's that's almost. I, I I always had a feeling that that was like his uh, his um, last hang on Paris moment. You know, like the scene where Marlon Brando's lying on the bed and he literally starts talking about himself. Uh, you know, Bertolucci got him just to start just improvising. He literally started talking about his own life, and I got a feeling in that scene. We I think we see a little bit of a glance. Yeah. Of the real Steven Seagal, because we've got this cocky sort of smart-ass, like, I'm a bad motherfucker, or at least I think I am. And then this whole sort of, this other side of him clicks in, where he's like, you know, what does it take to change the essence of a man, you know? Do you, and, think, uh, do you, you know, think that he was, I don't know anything about his childhood, but do you think that, like uh, Van Damme, that they were heavyset kids that maybe were picked on, and now he has, like, think. do you think the Seagal that we usually see on the big screen is a cover like um, a protective shield to keep people from getting close to him and for him to be sensitive? Do is, is, you think that's what it is? I think so. I think so. I know his middle name is Frederick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really, Stephen Frederick? Yeah. No shit. His, name is Fre- his middle name is Frederick. If I was him, I'd legally change so. it to Evan. Stephen Evan Seagal. <laughs> that's pretty good. He probably should have exploited that a little bit, buddy. <laughs> Can you see that on a poster? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
come and see Stephen F. Seagal. <laughs> Stephen F. and Seagal, man. You know, but I, I was just looking at IMDb before we started talking, and I see that there is right at the top of his list of credits is Above the Law 2. I saw that too, yeah, in Under Siege 3, but Under Siege 3 has been talked about for a long time. But Warner Brothers yeah. does have a line of direct-to-video movies, and they're usually sequels. Yeah. It, maybe they are going to do Above the Law 2. Yeah. But that would be that would be interesting. I mean, him coming back now uh, with, the, with the, you know, that, that very... It, I mean, his beard looks like it's painted on to me. It's so dark. It looks like he's got boot polish on it or something like that. Yeah, it's and, weird. He's um, hiding under that goatee and sunglasses like he's <laughs> he's, he's uh, trying to cover yeah. every single bit of aging. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And the hair looks shocking. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird sort of, you know. And sometimes he wears like a hat to cover his balding head and all sorts of stuff. But there's, the, the wonderful thing about the girl is there's so much myth surrounding him away from the film. Um, there's a great book out, anyone... Everyone who listens to this is a great book out, written by Bruce Beresford, the director of Driving Miss Daisy, Tender Murphy's um, Black Robe, Mal's Last Dancer. Anyway, so one day uh, while he was still living in Los Angeles, he was summoned to a meeting with his agent saying that Steven Seagal has requested a meeting with you to possibly direct his next movie <laughs> okay and he said and he said and bruce uh says uh he's aware of my films but he realized that i've never directed uh, well up until that point i've never directed an action movie in my life he said no he said he loves black robe he, he you know uh he loves driving his days he, he he just really wanted he he, he he believes that you're the right guy you know so he goes to this meeting and he drives around this really long <clears throat> wooded driveway and eventually comes to this this house. And he's quite surprised. It's not a, a big multi-leveled mansion. It's, it's all very flat and um, not very obnoxious. Anyway, so he comes to the door and he's met at the door by these two women in full geisha regalia, you know, with the makeup and everything. Really? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and... And they they speak it, you know. He he sort of bowed, <laughs> and and they said, you know, please please come in. Uh, the master is not yet ready for you. They refer to him as the master inside the house. Oh my god! Right. So he follows these two women in this other room, and uh, he says, you know, I'm kind of an old guy. I hope I don't have to like sit cross legged on the floor or something. And they said, no, no, Mister Beresford, we have a chair for you. Thank goodness. So he, he sits down in the chair and eventually Steven Seagal emerges and these two women sort of follow him around and stand behind him and all. Uh, and they have, a, that, they have a nice chat about the environment and he tells him how much he likes his movie Black Rose. And so then he tells him the story of the movie he wants to do. Uh, it's ultimately not on any of his, um, you know, list of credits because they didn't end up actually making it in, up making something else. So Bruce sits there and listens to this and says, you know, you realise I haven't directed any action movies. And he said, well, in Blackrod there was a bit of fighting and stuff. I think you could do it. And he said, you know, look, I, as much as I enjoy action cinema, he said, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not really in a place where I want to do that. I, I have movies I really want to do, and um, but you know, look, it's been it's been a heck of a thing meeting you and stuff. And Steven Seagal actually shines him on and tried to convince him to like, oh no, I, I really think we should do this, but he ultimately, you know, didn't do it. But uh, it's it's a it's a great story. I'm I'm only paraphrasing for the show here, but yeah. it's in a book called. Um, it's in a book written by Bruce Ferris, but it's called Josh Hartnett Really Wants to Work With You. <laughs> That's um, a good title. And it's about, it's about his, uh, all of his adventures uh, in the screen trade uh, as, as it is in, in Hollywood. You know what? But, I uh, just, that's Steven Seagal story. I just realized now why Steven Seagal does so many movies a year is to pay for things like that, like geisha girls who follow him around all day, for huge security exactly. teams. If he was a little more like uh, cost-efficient with his money, um, he wouldn't have to act so much. I think that's what screws a lot of actors. Look at Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage to death, but man, he screwed <laughs> up financially. Now he's got it. Wesley Snipes. And just like, yeah. you, you screw yourself up, man. You, you, make, you, t- you take yeah. movies you shouldn't for the money. Yeah, totally. Dolph, I don't. Is, I hope Dolph Lundgren takes this boost that he got from Creed Two and Aquaman and really rides it out because he's also making way too many movies. Overexposure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was. I've got to say, there was something really heartwarming watching Aquaman uh, and seeing Dolph Lundgren ride down on a giant sea dragon or seahorse or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I I'm really. I, I, I'm not. I'm not tremendously positive about this Masters of the Universe movie that they're supposedly doing. Um, but I did hear a bit of a flicker of a rumor that that Dolph Lundgren is up for the role of King Randor, which that, is kind of yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're, they're a bit, that's kind of heartening. But I, I'm not sure. I've heard. I've heard and read a lot of press, and none of it is encouraging. But I read that one little snippet, and if that's true, that. That's uh, that's one sort of bit, a bit of a light shining on the dog's ass, so to speak. There's a podcast called The Best Movies Never Made. It just launched like two months ago, and they have an, right. uh, an episode with Adam Rifkin, and they talk in it a, about the script that he did for Masters of the Universe. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'll I, have to check that one out. Um, I guess there's nothing really else to say about Seagal. I mean, he has plenty of movies to choose from. I think the only one he's made in the last decade that was worth watching uh, was one where he was co-starring with, um, oh shit, what's his name? The Giant Wrestler. Uh, it's called Maximum Conviction. Um, uh, right, right, yeah. What the hell's that guy's name? Big bald guy. He was in the first Expendables. Texas guy. Drinks oh. beer. Vest. Steve oh, Austin. Um... Steve Austin. Steve Austin, that's right, yeah. And if I remember correctly... Maximum Conviction. Yeah, it's it's him and Michael Jai White's in it. I believe Michael Perret and Steven Seagal have a fight sequence. And actually, Michael Perret right. kind of holds his own. I was, I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that was, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. But was, the last one I personally yeah. watched was... The last one I personally watched was called... Uh, I think it was called End of the Gun or End of a Gun. And that was, um, yeah... Yeah, I probably could have done something else. <laughs> you know, the, the point that I walked away was Glimmer Man. And I watched Glimmer Man a lot because I taped it off the, uh, off HBO or whatever. And yes. I just like, I really like Keanu, or not Keanu Reeves. Why, why was I going with Keanu Reeves? That was weird. Uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans. 
Um, oh, I really yeah, enjoy yeah. him in that movie, and the movie seems like it should have been something different, like more of a thriller than a uh, thriller with like shoved in action sequences, because the action sequences clearly do not fit. It doesn't go with the yeah. plot, and I was kind of bummed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, ironically, that was the one I watched last night <laughs> in preparation for our little uh, talk, a little bit of a, a Steven Seagal uh, moment for, for for the for the for the mind. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it, it's a weird movie where it's trying to be like seven meets above the law meets uh, the buddy cop comedy, like Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, you know, and and it's and it's just so confused because you, you've got like this sort of dark uh, thing with this serial killer, and then you've got this subplot with Seagal himself as like this guy of mystery and. He, you know, he, he obviously had a bad time uh, as a cop in New York, and he's been under investigation. And then you've got the whole him and him, him and Keenan sort of buddying up, and they have some nice little uh, banter and, and has actually have a laugh. Like that, I, I like to watch the one because Steven Seagal actually cracks a smile, probably the most you ever seen cracking a smile of in that movie. It was surprising you know? when he asked him, he was like, have I seen Casablanca? You asking me if I've seen Casablanca? Yeah, have you yeah, seen Casablanca? Yeah. No, I haven't seen Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, it, I, I think Steven Seagal was helped a lot of times by having a good ensemble of actors with him. Yeah, it's usually uh, the way with those know. guys. Like, Van Damme usually works best when he has a really strong supporting cast. Yeah, because, like, in in the big ones, like, the big one was probably probably the high-water mark was probably under siege. And you've got a huge cast. You've got Beauty, you've got Tommy Lee Jones, you've got the the chick that used to be famous on Baywatch before Pamela Anderson. Um, right, or Erica Laniac. You know, yeah, you've got the, you know, the, those classical guys. Dale Dye is one of the 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 admirals who are like sit around the table and they're like you know waiting for the big scene at the end where everything's okay and they grab each other and yeah they're all right we <laughs> we just sort of sat around debating for the whole movie but we saved the day sort of because we helped you know get people in touch with one another via uh, the seal intercom system yeah um so <laughs> but you know. Well, I think part of, of course, the problem, you know, the part of the problem is, yeah. is that those movies were studio films that were willing to put out the money for good supporting cast. And once yeah, he, yeah, both yeah. of them went over to Millennium Films in the early 2000s, which were willing to pay mm. them. So I looked at this as like, okay, so they would make five million dollars for this movie, but the budget was yeah. only twelve. So then it leaves very little room for creative action and no room for any supporting cast. Usually, like an ant appearance by somebody, and. You know, it's shot in Bulgaria. It just doesn't have the same cachet, and I think that's what started hurting the movies. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because once you get away from... I mean, because uh, if we look at sort of the movies up to sort of exit wounds, there's some big stars in some of uh, these movies. Uh, and certainly, if they're not big stars, they're very good character actors, like William Sadler, like uh, Keith David. Right. Harry like, Dean Stanton was uh, in Fire Down Below. Harry Dean Stanton, yeah. yeah. Even the dude from the band. What's his name? LeVon something or other? Oh, right. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name. Levon yeah, Helm or something like that? plays the old preacher, um, you know. Um, yeah. I, I Put it this way. I used to like Steven Seagal so much 
that I was pissed when I saw executive decisions because he's only in that for like 15 minutes or five minutes. And then he, then he dies in the, when they transfer the team up into the, into the plane. Yeah. You know, because the poster that came out over here for that movie has, uh, equal likeness. It has the, it has the, you know, half of the Kurt Russell's face. And then it, what looks like painted on after the fact is Steven Seagal's face on the other, on the opposite side of the poster. Gotcha. You know? So that's the way it was for you guys. Like <laughs> yeah. for us, have you yeah. seen the American poster? Cause he's not even on it. It just says, yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 he's not in it. Yeah, I know. So we thought, Oh wow, this is great. Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal. This is going to be interesting. And then he died. And, and all we're left with is, uh, I, it's a good movie anyway. You know, I can't, I, I, you know, Steven Seagal not being in the rest of it didn't hurt that movie. But uh, all we're left with is this kind of like, wow, they put both their faces on it and, and he dies. And all we're left with is, is the great story that John Leguizamo told often about how... <laughs> that he was in charge know? even though he's on the set for two yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah, he, he hit me and he just hit the wall. He's like, why? Why? <laughs> and he goes, because he came and he goes, I'm your CEO. And you gotta do what I fucking say. And he just hit him and, and sends him flying against the wall. You know? But, uh, yeah, that was kind of, that was how much I liked Steven Seagal was like I was pissed because he was this post with his two big heads. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I was, I felt robbed. I was sitting in that movie going, oh, he's dead. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> That was odd, but seeing like his face basically fills the other half of the poster. Usually, if your face is on the poster, you have more of a role um, in the film. But uh, you know, as I later found out, you know, he wasn't you know on the American poster, and he's he's certainly not in any of uh, some of the other art. But on this on this on the release that we got, uh, he's uh, he's front and center right there on the poster. So. That's such a ripoff. Yeah. I bet that probably yeah. happens a lot overseas, though. Like with it, they, well, I didn't sell that well, yeah. you know, with this actor. Let's push this actor. I mean, ha, is that the yeah, first yeah. time you ever got screwed on a movie? Is there other movies you saw where like that guy was barely in this damn uh, movie? Yeah, oh, look, there was one, one or two, but usually it was. Usually, when it was, it was some of the other ones, I wasn't surprised because they were the and credit. Oh, you know okay, what I mean? Yeah. And and featuring so. You kind of you kind of had a sense that okay they're not maybe in the whole movie you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, it's a bit like you know uh, the last sort of uh, Roman Polanski film I enjoyed which was the Ghost Rider and it says and Eli Wallach right but he's only in it he only has a very small part of the film but um, but but he's still good like he's still got a great presence even though he was really he was really old at the time he did. Um, but yeah, that was, that was probably the, the first big and, and only time where, you know, the poster had the two big heads and Steven Seagal, you know, cause it lived, I mean, the movie opens with Steven Seagal. His team go in and they, you know, they pull a mission or something. And, um, you know, and literally he was reduced to, you know, I, I, I always got the feeling that he was like pissed off and at some point said, well, I'm in this movie and I'm, I'm a big star. So, 
At some point, he used his power to get his face on the poster Maybe, in yeah. foreign territories or something. You know what I mean? Because the, uh, he the- is he is kind of he is kind of literally like Michael Bean is in The Rock. You know, like Michael Bean was. I, I like Michael Bean, and um, you know, it's kind of the same role. Like he he plays the the, the team leader that goes in to try and stop Ed Harris. And then, of course, he gets killed in that firefight, you know. Um, because I can literally see Michael Bean keep going, you know, because he's good. I like to see him in that role, you know. That was almost like uh, a continuation from his role in Navy SEALs. You yeah. know, the most intellectually devoid movie on the shelf, right? <laughs> Ooh, Navy SEALs, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was kind of nice to see him back in the... Uh, Back in the, the Navy SEAL uh, attire yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, the one time that I got I got kind of annoyed was, I don't know if you've seen it yet, so I don't, I don't know if I'm ruining this, but have you seen the movie Life yeah, right. with um, Jake Gyllenhaal? Life. Oh, yeah, the alien. Right. The alien one. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, poster yeah. here does not say and Ryan Reynolds. It says Ryan Reynolds. Okay. And then you watch the right. movie and he's in it for 10 minutes. You're like, I, what? <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wasn't that I wasn't that thrown by that. Um because I knew that the writers the same writers who wrote that did Deadpool and uh you know, you kinda of got the feeling that they that he you know, he feels a loyalty to them because they they've done Deadpool and he might have come on and done like that small Yeah. Uh, well it's also the director of Safe House. So he had a he had a, a yeah. relationship with everybody involved. Yeah, so you kind of got the feeling like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll play one of the characters, you know, not the main characters, uh, you know, as a favour to you guys, sort of thing, you know. But um, but I, I I really like that movie. I really like that movie. Yeah, some people have a theory really... that that's the prequel to Venom. I don't know if that's true. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly, but I, I, I saw it this way. When, when all the press was coming out about that movie... It said that this movie kind of feels like the seat warmer for Alien Covenant, right? But but here's the thing: I saw Alien Covenant first before I saw Life. Okay. And I actually I actually like Life better than I, Alien yeah, Covenant. I like both. I like both yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alien Covenant. I thought it's not a bad picture, but I thought that the there was too much of like because after Prometheus, Ridley was criticised for making an alien picture that wasn't trying to be an alien picture, but it really was an alien picture. And so this time, he puts the music back. He puts the very heavily handed like, oh no, this time it is an alien movie because the quintessential aliens are in it and the eggs are in it and yeah, some of the some of the old score and the title comes up the same way, and it just. You know, but I, I really. So you for felt my money, the cast, the, Yeah, for my money, the cast didn't carry that movie. Like the the lead actress, she's a good actress, but she's no Sigourney Weaver. Um, you know what I mean? So uh-huh. it lost the alien. Kind of lost some of it. You know, uh, I kind of I kind of checked it after Alien Three. I really liked Alien Three. It was one of the. I was one of the uh, one of the latter back in the day when Alien Three came out, but I really liked Alien Three. Uh, and Resurrection was kind of stupid, and uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, <laughs> it's a mess, yeah. 
you know, she plays basketball now, and yeah. Uh, well, we're meandering on here a little bit, but um, is there anything yeah. you want to plug before we go? Um, no, well, you can always check me out on uh, podcasts and softly. You can check out my books, uh, my, my scribbling on Amazon.com. I'm also on Audible now. You can listen to it if you don't have time to. If you don't have time to read a book, you can uh, sign up for Audible free trial, and uh, you can listen to some a bunch of really great narrators. Narrate my craziness. That's a whole new dimension. Makes my writing sound better. I actually laugh at my own stuff while listening to it. <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of not that I'm like Stephen Seagal. I don't sit all day listening to my own audio books uh, like I imagine he would if he ever wrote one. Oh yeah, did he say? Um, did he yeah. say notorious in some interview with uh, when he was shooting Glimmerman? He said to Keenan Ivory Wayans, he's like, I just read the greatest script I've ever read in my life, and he's like, Oh yeah, who wrote it? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't wait for when he like, like officially calls it quits and he's gonna write the autobiography. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be like Klaus Kinski's autobiography. I've got a feeling it's gonna be so bloated with bullshit. because um, <laughs> it's purely from his point of view now that we're getting right. the story. Yeah. Plus, so as you get be, older, as you get yeah. older, some people go a little insane and they start exaggerating. I wrote a. a, a not, it's not a novel in any way whatsoever. It's like forty-five pages, kind of like a joke mini book, uh, a novelette, right. I guess, but about a guy who's a huge ego freak. Because he yeah. fucked up the first like sixty years of his life, so he decides to write his own biography. And as he goes yeah. on, he gets more and more insane. And uh, yeah. his editor has to put in notes throughout the book to explain, right. oh, "This is real. This is what really happened." <laughs> and I imagine that's what yeah. Seagal's book is going to be like. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Seagull. It won't be called Seagullology because because Burns already used that title. Um, I, I, I call it whenever I talk about Seagull movies, Seagull exploitation, uh, is, is my word for it. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, so yeah, check out Amazon, check out Audible, uh, podcasting softly. I'll drop it here. My special guest next week will be Kevin Sorbo. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen. That's why Kevin you're Sorbo. doing homework. I was wondering about Never Cry Werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Torbo next week, folks. That's pretty rad. Hercules, okay. yeah. Tell, you got to ask about Call. I got to know about Call the Conqueror. I went to the theater. Call and, the Conqueror, uh, yeah. I had so much fun, and don't tell him this part, but it was a very empty theater. Okay. Opening weekend, and me and my friend uh, Dave were just sitting there going, this movie's rad. No one's here. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, or did what, you, what, uh, what you know, he was supposed to be a black dog, but you probably knew that. Yeah, but what uh, what was surprising though was during this period he's, he's in the middle of doing Hercules, and he goes away to do Kroll, a uh, Kroll, not Kroll, Kroll, uh, and he had his shoulder manipulated by a chiropractor, and it released these blood clots that went up into his brain. He had a series of four strokes. Oh my god! Which, which have which have impeded him now for life. Like he has he has limited vision. Right, he has he has very poor balance. Like you know, we take balance for granted, oh, but he no, has very I poor have balance. Vertigo. I he, know, I know. Uh, yeah, and and but he also has some hearing problems, so that really affected him. So literally, that's why there was so much more guest stars and other people on the on the latter series of Hercules and Xena 
to decrease his workload because he had had these strokes. Huh. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, so it's, um, it, it's a very interesting career. We, we'll, we'll hopefully cover most of it. So, yeah, Kevin Sorbo, folks, look out for it. Hercules. All right, so everybody, that is it for us here. Next episode, we're discussing the films of Shokusagi, and uh, well, everything will be up on our video night page on uh, Facebook, and uh, that's it. All right, take care. Happy viewing. All right, everybody, have a good night.